You're tuned to the Business Rundown. Grab your coffee and enjoy. And welcome to the Business Rundown. I'm your host, Chad Craft, joined with my co-host, Matt Sanchez. And today, Matt, I've been thinking about, you know, what makes a business valuable? And, you know, I've, I've come up with some things that make a business valuable uh, to me. But I was thinking, you know what, Matt has a program uh, that he runs that's literally called the value builder. So if uh, anyone is positioned to help people build a valuable business, it's probably going to be you. Um, so whenever I say valuable business, what are some of the three um, key characteristics or key points that come to mind for you? Sure. Well, and I appreciate that question, Chad, because there's actually a lot of different things that drive value for a business. While most owners focus on profitability, I would say it's probably one of the biggest mistakes because the biggest opportunity is building value, right? And it's not that these two concepts are not linked in some ways, but if you're focusing only on profitability, you may miss the opportunity to build value. And building value has an exponentially greater uh, ROI, right? So when people think about building businesses that can get a four, five, six, seven, eight times multiple on revenue or pre-tax profit, that is worth a lot more than just short-term profit. And uh, a good example would be you can kind of manipulate your profitability numbers. Let's say, for example, you decide that you want to uh, to boost profit, you're going to reduce your investment in R&D, right? Or mm-hmm. reduce your investment in the systems for your operations. Well, on paper, that might boost your short-term profit, but actually you might be long-term hurting the value of your business. And anyone who is a sophisticated buyer, which any business buyer is going to be pretty sophisticated, they're going to look right at that and they're going to say, why haven't you been investing in R&D for the last two years? You know, you've been doing this for seven, eight, nine years. You've been doing a lot of that and then you've stopped. Mm-hmm. What's going on here? That's going to raise up a red flag. So when it comes to building value, there are several key drivers, but I would say most businesses, there are three three ones that stick out in my mind because you asked for three. And I'd say the number one thing that what kills the value of most businesses is owner dependency. And what I mean by that is your business either can't function without you or can't grow without you. So if you can't, uh, if your business can't function without you, and I'm not talking about for like a week or two, I'm talking like long-term, like six months, nine months, a year. If your business cannot function without you, you don't own a business, you own a job, okay? And if you own a job, the value of that job is significantly less than the value of a business. Mm-hmm. Because not there, just because you think that you make a lot of a good living from that, that from that job, uh, people who buy businesses are not interested in that. They don't want to be tied to the day to day of it. Mm-hmm. So that is a, a big problem. And number two, along that same line, is can your business grow without you? So you might have developed a business that can function without you for six months, nine months, a year. But if it can't grow without you, it is just, you know, flatlining. Mm-hmm. And eventually, yeah. you know, it'll get the kiss of death, right? So 
that is something, uh, the two things, two questions that I usually ask for a business to, business owner to, to help them identify whether business is really dependent on them. Mm-hmm. And the next thing I would probably say is um, another common mistake is not having scalable services that can be done without you, right? So you really need to think about your offering and think about how can you uh, what we call productize your offering. So can you standardize it in such a way where you can teach employees to be effective at delivering that the whatever it is that you deliver? And the reason I say that is oftentimes as the owner, you are probably the expert. You have more experience than anyone else in your organization. You're probably the best salesperson. You're probably the best at most jobs. Uh, within the organization. But if your uh, services cannot be delivered without you or significantly uh, needing a significant input from you, that's going to be problematic. Mm-hmm. So thinking about how do you get or build your business in such a way that what you offer can be scaled without you being there. And there are a lot of things that go into that. And uh, to the third thing, and again, I could probably, it's always tough when you just limit to just to three, you know, sure. um, because this may or may not apply to your business, but I would say it's good. You're going to have dependency issues on either employees, customers, or suppliers. Mm-hmm. And the reason I mentioned that is let's say you have a key employee and that employee does everything for you. Well, if that person leaves, your business is going to be hurting, right? That's a problem. That's a red flag. Okay. Uh, or maybe most of your revenue comes from a single client. So you might have several clients, but maybe 40% of your revenue comes from one. Well, if that contract doesn't get renewed, that business is going under, you know, and mm-hmm. I've seen that time and time and time again. So, people work extra hard to keep this one client satisfied. But the problem is it is tying you more and more to that one client and not to being less dependent on them. So a good rule of thumb would be maybe uh, no more than 5% of your revenue, 10 most, right? Coming from a single client. Because you could probably operate your business without with 90% of revenue. Mm-hmm. If your business fails... Because you missed that ten percent, then that's you probably don't have a great business either way. But I would say that first thing is making sure that no customer represents more than ten percent, and and really, ideally, it should be no more than five. But I understand that in some businesses you just can't do that, right? So, mm-hmm. and then the last thing would be like a key supplier, right? So in the last couple of years, especially with COVID. Right, we talk about supply chain issues, right? So having a diverse uh, group of suppliers, if you're just dependent on one, maybe you get a sweet deal from them and maybe the owner of that, you know, I don't know, has a car accident, gets hurt, and you're no longer able to get a, a sweet deal, right? That's gonna be a problem. Or maybe they retire. Mm-hmm. That's gonna be a big problem. So there's uh, these trickle down effects. So building your business in such a way that it's either not dependent on you, 
not dependent on key employees, suppliers, or customers, and also having the type of services or products that can be delivered and scaled without you are probably three of the more common issues that I run across. But again, that's, that's not the end-all be-all, but it should give you a good idea of how can you create value instead of focusing on profits. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting. Whenever you were talking about uh, those characteristics, I was thinking about one company in specific, um, and that company is McDonald's. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's very interesting to me because I think a lot of people are like, on the surface, how is McDonald's so successful, right? When they became, you know, massive and, and popular, they had this thing called the dollar menu. They were making millions, prob probably close to billions on $1 items. Mm -hmm. um, but one thing that they have, their processes are simple and repeatable. Um, they're, they're, clientele um is definitely you know one person does not make up even one percent of their their business and um you know and they have so many so many things in place like they have multiple suppliers in place if this one goes down they have another one ready where they can uh, I pick to up this jump line. in absolutely mm -hmm. there's nothing that gives you more leverage than when you're being courted, right? When people are, they want to get your business, right? That is power, right? Mm -hmm. If you kind of lost your biggest client and it doesn't affect you at all, that's a good business. Yeah. Right? So I would say there are probably a lot of consultants or freelancers that may find this this part, that part, very difficult to do, especially mm -hmm. early on. But that's why it's so important to kind of think from a strategic perspective, right? To have the end vision in mind that I might be dependent on this client right now. And I'm not saying that you don't want the, the, the revenue from them, right? I'm not saying that you want to get rid of your clients, right? But you want to have the vision in mind that eventually you want to build up your business in such a way that you're not dependent on them. And mm -hmm. a good example, I mean, I can just talk about from my own experience in, in several different ways, but uh, either from business consulting and or from uh, my financial planning practice. When I built my financial planning practice, I remember one of my first couple of clients uh, when I went independent and it was just me, was a couple million dollar client account, which mm -hmm. is a good, good account. That's good revenue, yeah. right? But I'm absolutely... At the, especially if that's an absolutely dependent on them. Now, I have a wonderful relationship with this family. And in fact, I don't just take care of them. I take care of their kids, their grandkids, their, their parents even. So uh, I'm, I'm very entwined with this family. But the, at the time when I first started that relationship with them, I if I lost them, it would have killed, I would have, it could have been out of business mm -hmm. easily. Now I'm at a point where, I mean, if I lost them, I mean, I, I, I'd probably be very, just be very sad on a personal level just because mm -hmm. how close I am with them, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't kill my business at all. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I could I'd be fine. 
you know, would it suck? Sure. But um, I'm talking about just from like a P&L perspective, you know, yeah, it, it would suck, but it's not like, no, my, I'm going out of business now. So mm-hmm. that's something yeah. that, uh, yeah, go on. Well, I was just saying, I was, I was thinking about one of, uh, one of my clients who, whenever they first started working with me, were really close to 50% of my business. Um, it was my, my first like large client. Um, and whenever, whenever I signed them, I was like, okay, I, I need to do whatever I can because if, if I lose this business, like that's gonna, it's, I'm gonna take a big hit. And, uh, they, I think we, we parted ways two years ago, something like that. Um, and at the time of parting, it wasn't, it wasn't that bad. Um, because, uh, and it's funny because I didn't even think about like the fact that like, oh, this is almost half of my business. It was more just like, I want more clients like this. Um, so I was able to you know, be motivated to diversify, to get more large clients. And, uh, um, that, that's one of the antidotes right there. Yeah. <laughs> so, so using that, that example, right. You know, if that one client said, I, I, and it doesn't matter what the, the revenue is, right. But if it take, they take a 50% of your business, you gotta get nine more just mm-hmm. like them. Yeah. To, to even it all out. Right. And that's the mindset you, you gotta have, right. It, if, if that's the, the kind of business you want to build, probably nine people, nine more people. So you have 10 of them mm-hmm. at that revenue level probably is a solid business. Mm-hmm. I'm going to guess, right? Um, so you can see if you, let's say you, you are growing, right? You're definitely, you know, you want to get bigger and bigger and bigger and you do have a client dependency issue. Well, maybe make that your, your thought process, right? Either you need to build your business in such a way where if you lost that client, it's not going to kill you. Like you almost have to disregard the revenue for a second when you're trying to figure out how sustainable your business is, or mm-hmm. you got to go on, on, on the path to say, I'm going to get 10 of the clients just like that. Right. And that's how I'm going to beat this. And, mm-hmm. and those are like kind of your two options. Either you add more clients just like that. Or you have to almost pretend like it doesn't exist. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know about you, but uh, I, I'm more, I'd rather, we'd rather go <laughs> get more clients. Yeah, yep. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Builds a better business. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think a lot of people um, who might be listening to this have questions running through their heads, right? One of the questions that is probably happening is like, okay, Matt, like, sure i can i can try to pull myself away from from my business try to systemize everything um do do all these these things but where do i start what's what's the first step i need to do to take myself out of out of this business um cuz i think a lot of people and and this was me included for a long time is i'm what makes my company different right if uh if someone you know says oh what's your you know what what's your differentiating factor right oh it's me like no one has the experience i have no one has you know and 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 that's all all good and well but if you use your your experience and your um your story to build the brand anybody can live that out um and there are a lot of a lot of great examples 
of this Everyone and then has think their about one unique story, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so, think about like uh, companies like Calvin Klein, uh, Carnegie, um, oh, Louis Vuitton, good. like all these companies who are mm-hmm. built after people, like they're 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 people's essentially like personal brands that were turned into into businesses. Um, and it's like, yeah, took themselves out of it, but I can guarantee in the beginning, I don't know anything about Calvin Klein's story, but I can guarantee that when he, he started, it was just him, you know, him designing clothes, maybe him and a, a sewing machine. Yeah. Yeah. Versace. I mean, cause he's, he's, I'm not, I don't know all about fashion, but I do know that sure. he's, he's passed. I remember, you know, just, I think there's like a even like a FX uh, series about that. I, I saw a couple episodes, but you kind of get the idea, you know, that while he was central to it, the business did eventually survive based on his styles, mm-hmm. right? That were, were unique, and I think that that's like kind of the defining characteristic, right? Now, a lot of people are all about building brands. I'm I'm all for building a personal brand. I think that's a great thing. But think of your bit, your personal brand as a way to enhance the business, mm-hmm. not make it just the business, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Exactly. No, that's a, a really good point because it's not um, – like a, a personal brand can be scalable and can, um, I, I guess, be sold eventually. Um, but if, if that's the focus, it's almost putting you into another job. Yeah. Well, that, that's – Let's give it an example. So a good example I would say would be uh, Elon Musk, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone knows who he is, but uh, he's built, I mean, everyone knows him, right? And he's built wonderful companies. Now, you could remove him from the equation. I'm sure those companies will survive, right? Mm-hmm. It would be like Microsoft without Bill Gates, right? Microsoft was built by Bill Gates, effectively, right? Everyone, everyone knows Bill Gates, but you know he built the business in such a way where he was eventually able to transition out of it. Mm-hmm. Right? And same thing like Elon, where you know it started off with well, I think how most people got to know him was through Tesla, but he can also run SpaceX, he can mm-hmm. also run Twitter, you know, and he can do all those things. His personal brand enhances his ability to do it because he, while controversial, attracts a lot of people to those businesses, talent, right? Key employees, uh, suppliers. I mean, how many suppliers would love to work with him? Mm -hmm. So he's built businesses that can run without him. Uh, I'm sure if he wanted to sell Tesla, he, he, I don't don't think he's going to get rid of his, one of his babies, but you kind of get the idea where, you know, he's not on the, the, the manufacturing floor. Of, well, I understand he kind of actually is, but he's not the actual one, like, welding every single thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, he's he's not the one carrying out the work. He's, you know, going in there to to check Learn quality. How to right. do better, right. Yeah. Yeah. How, to, how can we design something better? Right? Mm-hmm. How can we solve problems? That That's really what he's interested in. So I think that would probably be a good example um, but, you know, a difficult one would be, um, let's say you built just a personal brand on just a podcast, like the, the show was you, mm-hmm. that would be very difficult to sell, 
right mm-hmm. now if you built other assets that went along with that that show and you brought let's say you had a co-host and you built them up then it's more transferable it has value to the person that you can sell it to right mm-hmm. but in the early days right if the business which runs on you that's a tough go at it so i guess i'm just trying to describe that there are varying degrees but you can see how one can enhance another but you got to be careful don't just think that i mean you just really need to ask yourself can i go on on a six-month vacation and will my business grow and scale without me the answer is no to either of those you know you know where you're at you know mm-hmm. what to do and that's okay yeah so what is um like the easiest thing that a business owner could do today to start moving themselves out of the business and, and, you know, head to that, um, that area where the business runs completely without them. Um, but instead of just it being like a quick, you know, Hey, rip the mandate off, you know, uh, implement this, this, and this, what's just like the first step or the first mindset to, to start getting into so that they can, um, entered this this period successfully yeah one of the keys to removing owner dependency is, is number one realize that it's not going to happen overnight mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's a journey it's going to take probably years uh, realistically to do it properly because mm-hmm. you'll try something and you'll keep kind of moving the needle more and more and more until you finally get to the point where you can uh, remove yourself from the business now i would say how what's a good first step Think about systems and processes, right? How can you systematize your, not just your offering, but how your employees can replicate the, your decision-making without you there? Mm-hmm. And I know for my employees, employees hate these things, right? Like the employee yeah. handbook, like, what do I do in this situation? Open up page 53 and, and, and check this paragraph and cross-reference it with, with page 22, right? I mean. That's really tough, right? Mm-hmm. And, and now, I mean, obviously there are systems you can kind of uh, put like your FAQs, you can do different mm-hmm. things to try to uh, make a more uniform answer or, or a decision-making process. But I would say it starts with, with systems. I would say at the highest level of businesses, people obsess over their systems because systems can be tweaked. They can be mm-hmm. adjusted. They can be be, be improved. They can be improved. Um, I know that that's probably not the answer all the employees want to hear, but it's yeah. true. You know, mm-hmm. and and that's where you got to find the balance. Find the balance in that culture, right? What you need to be able to empower your employees to make judgment calls. Um, they're not going to get it perfect every single time, but that's why you got to coach them and build that culture to help them make the decisions better and better over time. Mm-hmm. And so I would just say, start with thinking about how can I systematize it, right? Maybe your next hire, next person you hire, ask them just to um, write down everything that they learned in the business, right? Like, let's say there isn't a job description yet. I'm, I'm assuming in this case, you're probably like a, a small company with your first handful of employees, right? Mm-hmm. On the next hire, just ask them to take notes on everything. Right and, and type it all up. Don't don't just like write it in a notebook. Type it all up. 
So that way you can see from a fresh perspective what the experience is and you can coach them. You can say, oh, here's where the gaps in understanding are, right? And then use that to build up an operations manual, okay? Mm -hmm. That way, if that person uh, leaves, well, great, you have an instruction manual on how to train the next person and how to make it better. Mm -hmm. So instead of onboarding, taking, I don't know, I know a lot of people just put their feet to the fire and you just learn on the job, but instead of it taking, say, three to four weeks, maybe that cuts the time down to two to three. Mm -hmm. Maybe it cuts it down to a week and a half, right? How do you make it more efficient? And then in that time frame, that's money, right? And if you sold your business and they or a buyer is looking at your business, they're going to want to see that you have all this. That way, if you left, you know, the next day, they knew exactly what every person should be doing. That's it. So mm -hmm. I would say one of the first things you might want to consider, and don't get me wrong, this is a process in and of itself, but think about your systems, think about your, your processes, document all of them, and you want to build it in such a way where it's not so rigid that you're burning out your employees, having them trying to figure out how to do everything. Mm -hmm. At the same time, you want to do it in such a way that empowers them to be able to, to learn, to grow, and to be able to uh, get through the spirit of what you're trying to accomplish, as opposed to, you know, it, not every situation is going to be black and white. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, as, as we're wrapping up, do you... What is one, I guess, piece of information, piece of advice that you wish you knew about building a valuable business before you jumped into, um, you know, the business arena? Gosh, that's such a great question. I mean, I think that the first thing that I would say it's owner dependency, build a business mm -hmm. without owner dependency. I remember there was this concept where I actually learned this in, in college and I wish I could unlearn it, but it, it was something that just kind of stuck with me. Mm -hmm. And the professor was talking about efficiencies and Six Sigma and how to make uh, your operations leaner and more efficient. And he was so proud of this concept that, I don't know, uh, he was the CEO of, of a Fortune 500 company. But it, the, the point is he, he had said something along the lines of, well, most organizations run like in a straight line, right? Like a traditional org chart. And he's like, and I think it's either him or maybe one of his partners had built their org chart. He's like, it's like a circle, right? And he was in the middle of it and everyone, you know, and it was more like a circle uh, and building a web as opposed to a mm -hmm. traditional org chart. And I thought, oh, that's brilliant, right? Because then he can have a hand in all the different uh parts of the business. Well, if you're trying to build a valuable business, that is exactly what you don't want. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, while it might be efficient, mm -hmm. right? Because uh, to make decisions in that, in that way, you're, again, you're building dependence. Mm -hmm. I mean, the C, a lot of people think that that's what the role of the CEO, well, not necessarily. The, your CEO is your last, is the only, is the highest generalist of the company. Right. And what their job is to do is, um, let's say every quarter, every 90 days, they're going to go into a segment of the business, marketing, uh, operations, 
uh, you name it, legal, right? They're going to mm-hmm. go through it and they need to be good enough in every single aspect of it. And then they want to not just understand what you're doing, but what's the next level? What are the problems that these people are, are, are coming across and how do we solve them from a strategic perspective, from a long-term, uh, the long-term vision and how do we align mm-hmm. all these things? And then they're going to go through and solve those problems, right? So that's where they might say, hey, it looks like we need more resources in marketing so we could be on the cutting edge of marketing, right? That doesn't mean that, you know, after that, they're moving on to the next big problem in, in the business so the business can, can grow. And that is effectively, think of it like a bottleneck, mm-hmm. right? There's always, as I mentioned before, there's a bigger business in every single industry, unless you are the, the titan, right? What you need to do is get rid of all the bottlenecks. And if business depends on you, you're probably the bottleneck. Mm-hmm. Because if you get sick or you get hurt or you can't perform your functions, whatever it is, business slows down. Mm-hmm. So your job is to, as, as the owner, as the CEO, right, is to create strategic vision, to solve the major problems in each discipline, right? And then get rid of all the bottlenecks. And if you get rid of the bottlenecks, your business will just grow. And that is, you do that through systems, through processes, and that is ultimately how you build long-term value. 